Good morning. And thank you, worship team, for leading us to the Lord this morning. Well, I come to you this morning with mixed emotions. During my lifetime, I've only had two churches before, and I came to each one of them to stay. (laughs) I came to this one to leave. And I, I like the other part better. It's difficult to leave people that we have come to love. Dietra and I have been greatly privileged to be here. And we rejoice, mostly, in the coming of your new pastor and his lovely family. Uh, one, one person, I thought, put it well, said to my wife, we like him, but we love you. <laughs> so uh, kind of keeps me on an even keel. Uh, it's time for us to leave. It's time for you to stay. When I came here and talked to many, many of you, people have said to me, we are an older congregation and we desperately need to attract a new generation. You have started that process with a new pastor who is a part of that generation. Generation I don't understand, but that's all right. But you have all heard that if you keep on doing what you've always been doing, you will keep on getting what you've always been getting. And so as Pastor Nate comes, there will need to be changes, and not all of them will excite all of you. I've told people I never saw a change I liked in my life. And that's pretty much true. Uh, It may be because of the day I came into our home after a a day at work at the church. I call it work. And uh, I sat down in my favorite chair, which my wife had moved. (laughs) I didn't even look. I just sat down on the floor. And... uh, That was a difficult day in our marriage. (laughs) But I have led uh, probably more change than most pastors have. And uh, I have seen the fruit of that change. Change, though, is always painful, even if you don't sit on the floor. Uh, So... As things progress here, some of you may be from time to time uncomfortable. I hope you will remember our anniversary Sunday when a very large number of you came forward and said, we're in for whatever. I hope you will remember that. I hope you will be. I hope you will all be here to see the rejuvenation of this church and that someday maybe you'll Invite me back to see that. We love you. Uh, 
I do have a tentative opportunity to move ahead again. Uh, a church in Toronto called me and uh, set me up to speak for one Sunday to see if I'm any good or not. <laughs> so I'm looking through my sermons, see if I've got a good one. Thank you for your kindness to Dietra and to me. Thank you for your expressions of appreciation. Thank you for the joy that it has been <clears throat> to be a part of your lives for this last little while. I, uh, I heard of a young man who was a uh, was just starting out in banking down in the United States. He went to his boss. He said, I want to move ahead and uh, I want to go places in the bank. Can you, can you tell me, how, how do I get ahead in the bank? Two words, good decisions. So, okay, how do I, how do I learn to make good, good decisions? One word, experience. Okay, and how do I get experience? Two words. Bad decisions. <laughs> or perhaps I could put it a, a, a little stronger picture. Uh, about this time of year, our youth group always used to like to go to Wonderland. And I would go with them. And... Uh, now, as soon as we got there, they would dump us and go off on their own. But that was fine, because I wasn't there for them, I was there for the roller coasters. I discovered that I can do six roller coasters in one day without bad results, if you know what I mean. I discovered that by doing seven. The teens thought that was pretty hilarious. There's a roller coaster at uh, Wonderland called uh, Leviathan. It's about 130 stories high, I think. You've all seen it as you've driven by or you've been there. And you're ratcheting up and up and up and up, you know. And the view is getting more beautiful and more beautiful. And for a moment, just an instant at the top, you can see forever. And it's wonderful. And then it all falls apart. <laughs> and you're going almost straight down. And then you're upside down. And then you're slammed to the left. And then you're slammed to the right. And then you're upside down again. And then you're slammed and slammed and bammed. And suddenly it's over. Oh. And there's a sense of 
I did it. I made it. But there's another one. There's another roller coaster there. It's called the bat. You go up and up and up, and there's no over. It's like if we keep on going, we're going to just fall straight down and crash. But you don't. All of a sudden, at the top, there's a bang, and backwards you go. And all of a sudden, you're slammed to the left, backwards. And then you're slammed to the right, backwards. And then you're upside down, backwards. And you can't see what's coming, and it's horrible. And at the end of that, there's no sense of exhilaration or I did it. There's simply a a sense of I made a very bad decision. Yes. Yes. Long time ago now, there was a man whose life was a little bit like that. One moment it was up here, the next moment it was down here, the next moment he's going backwards and can't see where he's going. And he ends up knowing he's made a very, very bad decision. The, well, Jesus, Jesus nicknamed him Rocky. The rest of the disciples just called him Pete. You and I could call him Peter. He said some of the best things in the entire New Testament. And he did some of the worst. His life was up and down. It was slammed to the left and slammed to the right and backwards till it seems as though he must not have known what was going on. In Matthew chapter 16 and beginning at verse 21, It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. There are two words there that cannot really go in the same sentence. Never, Lord. Lord means master. Never, master. You don't say no to God. Well, we do, don't we? We do. But you can't do it. Not logically. It's not reasonable to say, Lord and then say never in the same sentence or any other sentence. It, it's, it's not reasonable. And, and, and Jesus turned to him and he said, Get behind me, Satan. Peter is mouthing Satan's thoughts and words. And, and it's about one paragraph after Jesus has said to the disciples, Who, do people, who are people saying that I am? 
And the disciples tell him, well, they're saying all kinds of things. Some say you're Elijah raised from the dead, and some say you're uh, one of the other prophets, and, and uh, uh, still others, Jeremiah, so forth. There's any number of, of identifications of you, Lord. Jesus turns to them and he says, but who do you say that I am? And who is it that pipes up? It's Peter, isn't it? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You, you, you can't get any higher than that. That's the confession of who Jesus is. All kinds of people in this day don't understand who Jesus is. There's a, uh, an article in Christianity Today this week about uh, what evangelicals or so-called evangelicals think. And many of them think that Jesus is the first and greatest created being of, of everyone. And Jesus is not a created being. He's God. And Peter says, you're God. That's, that's, that's the pinnacle of confession of Jesus. And yet, also, we will later find him rebuked. We'll find him bickering. We'll find him misunderstanding. We'll find him in all kinds of different places. High points and low points. In John chapter 6, Jesus was teaching hard things. And it says that many of his disciples no longer walked with him after that. But Peter was not one of those. Peter was one of those who stayed with him. G Peter continued to follow Jesus. And so his life is a little bit like a yo-yo or a roller coaster. It's up and down. But it ends down. It ends down. In Matthew chapter 26 and uh, beginning at verse 69 we read this. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him you also were with Jesus, she said. Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives, them, gives you away. And then he began to call down curses from heaven and swore to them, I don't know a man. I don't know him. And a rooster crowed. And Peter turned on his heel and stumbled out into the blackness of the night and into the dark desolation 
of his soul. And he knew that it was over. He knew he could never again be with Jesus. All of those years and months together, now he had blown it totally. And he wept bitterly. Even after the resurrection, he, he had come to know with the others. But do you remember what Jesus said? Or what the women were told. They were told, go and tell the disciples and Peter. See, Peter is no longer a disciple. He knows that. He does not consider himself any longer a disciple of Jesus because he knows he has blown it so badly. And he's not alone. Paul. Paul said, I, I, I don't even deserve, I, I don't know how I can even be a disciple. I'm the greatest of all sinners. I, I persecuted the church of Jesus. Or Rahab. You remember Rahab? <laughs> Her life wasn't that great. I don't know how welcome she'd be in a lot of churches. She was a prostitute. Was. Or David. David blew it big time too. And so here we have these these people, and, and, and Peter's one of them now. And it's emphasized for us in in John chapter 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. Two other disciples were together. Peter said essentially this. It's over. I'm going back to work. He said, I'm going fishing. Now, you mean, I need you to understand, this is not, uh, honey, I'm taking the boys out, we're going in the canoe, and I'm going to teach them how to fish. We're going to just have a day away. No. Do you, do you see what's going on here? He understands that Jesus is, is risen from the dead, but he doesn't know what that means, and Jesus is gone. Where, where is he? We, we don't see him. I don't see him. I don't know where he is. So it's all over. I'm going back where I was before I met him. I'm going back to work. Peter was a fisherman. I'm going back to work. Because my dreams are all gone. And I'm lost. And I have no hope. And by the way, let me suggest to you that if there's nothing in your life of which you are deeply ashamed, you have not examined your life before the Lord carefully. We all have things of which we need to be deeply ashamed. And yet... Peter, Peter knew it was over. 
He understood that so well. But there was one person who didn't understand that it was over. And that was Jesus. They fish all night and they find nothing. Not one single fish. What a rotten night. And in the morning, as the sun is just peeking over the horizon, they look off to the shore as they're getting ready to come back in and give up as a lost cause this whole fishing night. And there's somebody standing on the shore. And he is preparing breakfast. And they look. Who's that? And somebody says, it's the Lord. And Peter, Peter, grabs his cloak. He's been fishing without a lot of clothes on. And jumps into the water and swims to Jesus. Last time he jumped out of the boat, it didn't go that well. Now we're closer to land. And Jesus feeds them breakfast after he's given them more fish than they can carry. And then he says to Peter, uh, he says, Rocky, let's go for a walk down this stony beach. And so off they go. And I can see Jesus perhaps putting his arm around Peter and saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, oh, yeah, I love you. Feed my lambs. Feed your lambs. I'm out. Can you understand? Peter thinks he's out. Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. You're, you're going to be used by God. And Jesus never mentions, Peter, you really messed up. Listen, if you treat me that way before I forgive you, I want to see you on your face. That's who I am. But Jesus, Jesus, loved Peter in spite of who he was. And he loved him and knew what he would be when the Holy Spirit came in and filled his life. And this man had a significant ministry for the rest of his life. Now, he wasn't perfect. He never was perfect. In fact, if you were here last Sunday, you found out that Paul had to rebuke him once, face to face, because he was giving in to legalism again. 
But in spite of that, God had a purpose for his life and he was used in a remarkable way. And God had given him the opportunity to open the door of the church to the Jews. He had given him the keys to the kingdom. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter did exactly that. And then a little while later, some men from the Gentiles came to Peter and said, God's given Cornelius a vision and, and you're to come down and, and tell him about Jesus. And Peter opened the door of the church to the Gentiles as well. This is Peter, who's been down at the bottom, who has denied that he even knows Jesus. So can I leave you with some thoughts about uh, how do we explain this? How do we explain Peter and the change that came into him. He had always wanted to follow Jesus, but he wasn't very good at it. Peter knew some things. He, I'm, I'm sure Peter knew many things, but I've discovered a few things that Peter knew that I think made all the difference. He knew, first of all, what forgiveness really means. Did you understand that? Peter, who had denied Jesus. Peter, who swore and said he didn't know him. This man has had Jesus put his arm around him and say, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. This, this man has known the love of Jesus and the forgiveness that comes with the love of Jesus, as he confessed that he did indeed love Jesus. And Jesus never mentions his denial again. He never mentions his denial again. After ten years of marriage, Cindy and Chip were in the long process of getting a divorce. The long, painful process. The proverbial baggage that they had brought with them from previous marriages had just been too much for them to deal with. And they separated and they even agreed to date other people and, and they were in the midst of a divorce. Not very friendly one, if there is such a thing. Five years into that separation, Chip was in the hospital with kidney failure. His health was deteriorating rapidly when his soon-to-be ex-wife came to his rescue and donated a kidney to him. She said there was no way I could walk around with two kidneys and he had none. It was the right thing to do. She agreed to donate a kidney telling Chip there were no strings attached. No agreement concerning a better share in divorce court. The transplant took place. It worked. And he was healthy again. 
And he fell back in love with his wife. And she with him. And the last I heard, they're still married. And happily so. You see, she, she moved in toward him before he moved back towards her. And that's the way Jesus works with you and me. He moves towards us first, and then we can respond to him. He moved toward Peter, and then Peter could respond to him. And Jesus is moving towards you and me today. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your past is. I don't know what that thing is that's burdening you and bogging you down and causing you defeat in your life. But Jesus wants to move toward you and then allow you to come to him. He knew the call of God on his life. He knew God's he knew Jesus' forgiveness, he knew Jesus' call on his life. He had heard Jesus say, "Feed my sheep." And do you know every single Christian here has a call of God on your life so that Jesus wants to use you. Not all of you have the kind of call that Pastor Nate has or that I have to stand up in front and proclaim God's word. But I wanted to take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. It's a familiar chapter to anybody that's been in church for a long time because it's a chapter where it says, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we all stop memorizing there. But I want, I want us to just keep on reading into the next verse, which says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you understand that God has things for you to do? He was writing this to the whole church. He didn't write this to the pastor or to some, uh, the, you know, uh, full-time worker. He was writing it to the whole church. And God says he has prepared things, good works, for you and me to do. Every single one of you here has good works that God has prepared for you if you have come to know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. So Peter uh, began to understand the forgiveness of God, began to understand the call of God on his life, and then he, he knew the Scriptures. You cannot live the way God wants you to live without knowing the Bible. In the first two chapters of Acts, he quotes the Old Testament five different times. From memory. Where did he learn that? <laughs> been walking with Jesus. Jesus has been explaining to him the scriptures. And you and I need to constantly be in God's word. Are you reading the Bible? Many years ago, I made a commitment to Jesus to read the Word of God every single day of my life. I have failed, but very, very seldom. I read the Bible, a little bit of the Bible, every single day. You need to read the Bible. You need to know God's Word. 
So he knew the forgiveness of Jesus. He knew the call of Jesus on his life. He knew the scriptures about Jesus. And then he had the indwelling, empowering spirit of God in his life. Read the second chapter of the book of Acts and you will find out that God came in and filled him and he, began, and he stood up and he began to proclaim the word of God and 3,000 people got saved that day. And the Holy Spirit has been empowering and filling people to do Jesus' will from that day until this. And he's available in your life and in my life this morning, this very day. The Holy Spirit wants to fill us and take us and use us in some way. Some of you will say, well, I don't see how I can be used. You can. You can. There's a ministry, some kind of ministry, that every one of you can have here. You can have a prayer ministry. You can have a ministry of caring about others. You can, you can have some kind of ministry, whoever you are and whatever your situation is. God is calling you. He's urging you to come to Him and live the life that Jesus died to give us. Peter. The worst failure you could ever imagine. Called down curses on himself if he ever knew Jesus. And Jesus said to him, the day will come when you will stand for me and you will die for me. And he did. He died willingly for Jesus. And today he's in glory. What kind of a commitment do you have to Jesus this morning? Do you have the kind of commitment that will enable you to say, Yes, I follow Jesus? Do you have the kind of commitment that will cause others to look at you and say, He or she must be a follower of Jesus? I trust that in these days and years ahead, the good works that God has for you will be evident in this church to bring honor and glory to his name and to open the doors of the church to men and women and young people who are lost and desperately need Jesus. I pray that you and you and you will be a part of that right here, right now. Father in heaven, speak to our hearts. Show us forgiveness. Show us your call. Show us you in the scriptures and fill us with your spirit that we may do the works of the God who has called us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.
Great. Um, I get the uh, privilege and honor to thank Doug and Deitra this morning for uh, being a part of our family here at Nowood for the past six months and uh, guiding us through this transition time. So um, first, I just want to thank uh, both of you uh, for giving your time and efforts to drive out here uh, all the way from Sarnia each week. Um, Doug, for your willingness to sleep on an air mattress in your office. Um, I don't think I know anybody else at your age who's willing to do that once, let alone every single week. So uh, it, was always, it was always shocking to see when I walked past your office and would see the air mattress in there. So I thank you for, for doing that. Um, and Deitra, thank you for giving up uh, time with your husband. Uh, to, to have him here with us and, and to work here with us. We really appreciate um, you giving that time up. Uh, we want to thank you, Doug, as you have spoken truthfully and with such passion from God's word to us uh, to challenge and encourage us to trust in God and focus on what he desires for us as his church uh, to help push us forward uh, to get a little bit uncomfortable and to unite together under Christ. And uh, I personally want to thank you just for your guidance these past six months, as this has been my first time in ministry, and uh, to have someone uh, like you who has fought the good fight, who has continued to love God's church and continue to serve in the ministry for as long as you have, uh, is truly inspiring and encouraging to me. So thank, thank you. you. Um, we will continue to pray for you both as a church, as God leads you to the next place that he calls you to. Um, and as well, we have uh, a parting gift for both of you. Uh, so we have a card and, and a gift card there that you can use um, to have some time together as you eat food. And I know that you, you. both enjoy food, yes, as I've spent uh, a few, a few uh, celebratory lunches with Doug. He, uh, he sure enjoys his food, especially the Mandarin. <laughs> um, and we also have flowers uh, for Dietra. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, church, can we stand together? Thank Give them a round of applause. Thank you. <clears throat> um, and let me, let me pray for you guys as we go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, these two wonderful people that you have created, God. We thank you for Doug and Jitra. We thank you for uh, their marriage. We thank you for their love for each other. And we thank you for their love for you, God. And uh, that you've brought them here at this time to uh, care for us, to encourage us, to help us through this transition. God, you uh, chose them specifically for this time. And we thank you for bringing them here, God. Um, thank you for all that they have done for us. Thank you for Doug and just his willingness to speak truthfully from your word, to speak with such passion and to challenge us uh, to continue to fight the good fight for you, God, to share your gospel into a dark world like this and to be a light, uh, to be united together as a church, God. Um, thank you for the love that you continue to show us through this, God. And, and be with Doug and Deitra uh, as they go to the next place that you call them to. Thank you that they will just continue to, to minister to you, God, uh, now and for the rest of their lives. Um, we thank you for their encouragement and just the inspiration that they are, God. Uh, we thank you for this final message from Doug that he's given us of, of a man uh, like Peter who, who was up and down and um, maybe to see ourselves in him and then also just see the grace and forgiveness that you showed him in our own lives, God. Uh, be with us as we go and uh, maybe just go in peace. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. 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 Make sure you guys wish them well. Give them a big thank you as you leave. Um, Please go in peace and thank you uh, for joining us here at Nowhere this morning.